1987, the Victorian Government did something unique. It established VicHealth, the world's first health promotion foundation. VicHealth was created as part of an Act of Parliament that also banned outdoor tobacco advertising in Victoria and then used cigarette taxes to fund anti-smoking campaigns and to buy out tobacco industry sponsorship of sports and the arts. 35 years later, VicHealth is facing new challenges. Its long-term aims focus on creating major behaviour change in the community, the type of change that will improve public health, more people being physically active, preventing tobacco use, better mental well-being, healthier eating and reducing the harm created by alcohol. But how do you work to create that type of change when we're facing one of the biggest and most complex public health crises in Victoria's history? Hello, I'm Nick Bastow, and in this episode of Public Sector Perspectives, we speak to VicHealth CEO Dr Sandro DeMeo. Appointed in 2019, Sandro DeMeo is a medical doctor and a public health expert and advocate. His career started as a doctor at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne and has subsequently included fellowships at prestigious institutions like the Harvard Medical School and the John Hopkins School of Public Health. He's worked at the World Health Organization and hosted the ABC television show Ask the Doctor. Through its creation and in the work that it does, VicHealth is an example of public sector innovation. But now it's facing an enormous new challenge. So I began by asking Sandra DeMeo where he was when the potential impact of COVID-19 first became clear. I remember very clearly, I was actually in Castle, Maine, uh, Castle, Maine that day uh, in regional Victoria, enjoying um, one of the highlights of my early time as a CEO. I'm, I'm one year in and for the first uh, three months, I really loved being out in regional Victoria reconnecting with communities, understanding what the challenges were facing um, regional and, and outer suburban parts of uh, Melbourne and, and Victoria. Uh, so I was in, in, um, in, in, uh, in Castle, Maine that day, uh, visiting some of the sport and community groups that we funded. And um, I actually had a call from a colleague at, at the World Health Organization in Geneva, where I worked for a number of years as a technical advisor to governments around the world on, on nutrition and chronic disease, so not infectious disease. But I had a call from a colleague and, and, and he said, you know, basically, um, look, you remember SARS? And I definitely remembered SARS, uh, although it didn't really affect us hugely here in Australia. It did certainly uh, have a major effect in many Asian countries. Um, well, you know, the, this, this pandemic is, um, is, is looking as though it's going to go in a similar direction, uh, but, but likely to become global. Um, and, you know, the only thing we really had as a reference to it uh, that, that this individual mentioned was uh, the Spanish flu. And, and so at that point, I realised, um, okay, look, we, we had staff, we had been keeping staff up to date. I'd been sending out regular emails um, from, from me to our entire team, giving them really just an update of where um, coronavirus, uh, where, where the situation was for us in Australia. Uh, it certainly wasn't seen as an imminent uh, threat until, um, I suppose, that moment. But I made the decision on that day, um, just because we were starting to see cases in Australia, this was in March, uh, to send everyone home um, and to start to get the organisation set up to be able to 
work effectively from home. And that was for a few reasons. Firstly, because the safety and welfare of my staff is incredibly important, obviously, to me as, as, a, as a leader. Um, but also because I knew that, you know, it was likely going to become a really important time for Vic Health, that we were going to need to deliver, continue to deliver for Victorians, um, maybe even beyond our usual uh, mandate and expectations um, if, if, if the pandemic did go in the direction that my colleagues were, were suggesting that it probably was going to. Well, that takes us to my next question, I guess, which is this type of pandemic, our response to it, I suppose, is unprecedented in scale in recent Australian history. You know, Spanish flu is now more than 100 years ago. Um, from a very broad strategic sense, what was your vision for the role that VicHealth should play in our response to COVID? Well, I think there there were a number of roles that we needed to play. The first was, um, as I said, to really uh, protect and support the people who worked for us. I think this sent a really strong message to to other smaller organisations around us, um, you know, our peers and and our partners and our collaborators, that Vic Health was sending their staff home. Uh, it we, we weren't the first, but we certainly weren't. Um, you know, the last, and I think it sent a, a message, uh, you know, uh, that, that gave others confidence to do the same. Um, we, we did it in a way that wasn't rushed. We gave our staff time to really um, carefully think it through and get things uh, in order. We, we, look, we, we obviously had to look into all of the occupational health and safety and work cover issues, which then, again, we could afford to um, extend that, that sort of intelligence to um, many of the partners around us. Um, the, second, the second thing that we did was to establish actually a, a number of leadership groups. So uh, one of them was the, the peak uh, health promotion peak uh, CEOs group. So it's about 16 CEOs that, um, that I convened with, with, our, with my colleagues. Um, and this was all of the health promotion peaks across Victoria. The questions we were really thinking about were how do we support one another, how do we support Victorians, uh, and how do we support the government, and how do we be ready for when government, you know, might come with a request for support. Um, we set up a, um, a hub of information for health promotion organisations on our website, uh, specifically relating to COVID, and we started to um, take on a role of being a second line uh, communications channel reinforcing the messages of government around, you know, restrictions which were starting, but also, I suppose, this, you know, our, our, our second big role, which was continuing to support Victorians. And so, um, you know, we were, we, were, we were pivoting a lot of our programs, a lot of the investments we had in, in sport, in the arts, um, convening a lot of those organisations uh, in, in, in working groups to understand the challenges that those organisations and sectors we're facing being a communications channel back to government um, and, and keeping government abreast of, of the challenges being faced by those sectors, but also being able to use our, our direct channels out to local governments, to communities across Victoria uh, and to all of, all of the partners that we have across Victoria in the health promotion space and, and helping them to continue to do what they do well uh, under what were very uh, difficult, but probably very important times to be delivering our health promotion support. Um, the third thing we did was actually a number of us were seconded into government. So I was uh, for a number of, uh, for a couple of months was um, a deputy public health commander 
in the COVID response uh, was, was just doing that on a backfill basis because I have a PhD in uh, epidemiology and public health and a medical doctor trained, I was originally a medical doctor. So, um, you know, I was really just backfilling on weekends um, where I could help out. Um, and then eventually, look, the, the, the role became, the job uh, really um, became, uh, well, there, were, there, was, there was more than enough staff capacity. And so um, those secondments, we then stepped back and, and, and also the roles within, well, the importance of the role in Vic Health was just continuing to become more and more evident. Um, and, and I suppose, you know, now the, the role has pivoted once again for Vic Health. Um, we've continued to be a second line messenger, message, um, you know, channel for the government. We've continued to support directly and indirectly the government and, and our partners. We've been able to get, um, you know, a large amount of our payments brought forward out to our partners to try and, um, you know, help them uh, in what's been a very difficult time financially. We've also looked at how we can really try and make a lot of our existing contracts, particularly the sports sector who are doing it really tough, uh, more flexible to help them get through, but also, you know, maybe support them to pivot and focus more on other aspects of, of community health at the moment that they might be able to deliver even without being able to deliver sport. Um, and then, And then at the moment, we're now thinking out to the future. How do we how do we ensure that as we build back better, uh, Victoria achieves better health uh, coming out of COVID than we had to begin with, uh, that society and, uh, Victorian, and the health of, of Victorians uh, is more equitable than it was before? Um, and what are the major pain points? What are the things that we are seeing and hearing through our partners, but also through a major survey that we recently ran and, and are now using that data to inform one of the largest grant rounds that we have ever had as an organization which will roll out in about three weeks focused around some very specific health challenges that we know victorians are facing at the moment vic health had already identified five big areas of strategic interest and i thought it might be interesting just to explore a couple of those and they're sort of what COVID has focused activities around those those um those areas of interest the first one was um physical activity and i guess the um and vic health long-term goal of, of encouraging regular physical activity for sound reasons i guess obviously the the various stages of lockdown have limited people's opportunity for activity but the truth was i guess before COVID, we had problems with people doing enough physical activity do you think that COVID is going to make that challenge harder in the long term? Or do you think it's, I mean, are we getting a pent up group of people desperate to get back to activities like community sport, which is in fact going to make the, the transition back, we're going to snap back to that reasonably well? Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. And one of the first things that we did back in March, uh, we were in the midst of just launching This Girl Can, a major social marketing campaign, encouraging or really making it safe uh, and um, and accessible for women and girls to get active and be involved in uh, all forms of sport and and um, physical activity. We pivoted that program, uh, which was largely an in-person based um, local government implemented and major social marketing campaign. You know, TV ads, those sorts of things. We pivoted that really quickly and made it a digital campaign instead. We had online um, Bollywood dancing, online yoga classes, um, populated a huge amount of resources for, for people to be able to still 
stay physically active as they were looking for opportunities, particularly in the first lockdown. And actually, we 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 had a record number of a record level of participation in that campaign this year. We saw more Victorian women and girls get active this year than ever before. So that's great, and and we have certainly seen. Um, you know, people are more focused and more concerned about their health than ever. Uh, I think a lot of people, if they have access to good quality infrastructure like walking paths, bike paths, um, you know, places to run and play, local parks, they are using them probably more than they were before because of lockdown and the restrictions. That said, you know, a lot of Victorians don't have access to um, really high quality infrastructure and that's something that we're working on trying to um, get addressed through local and state government and, and they've been very receptive. Um, you know, but, but we've also really tried to support many of our sporting partners, so uh, local clubs, um, uh, leagues, regional sporting associations, state sporting associations, you know, those organisations that um, don't, they can't play sport at the moment, but what they can do and what many of them are doing really brilliantly is engaging people in sport and physical activity from home and getting particularly kids active from home. And, that, and that's been a really great sto success story through collaboration, through uh, really leveraging um, the, the, uh, the value add and the, the capabilities of those sectors um, and, and through Vic, Vic Health listening and then, and then adapting with, with um, those sectors based on the needs of Victorians. So I think there will be, I worry that there will be, um, for those who are facing an uphill battle to get physical, you know, to stay physically active, whether it was to have safe places to run and, and, and ride a bike uh, or simply not having the time um, before coronavirus, I think it will be even harder. I worry that it will be even harder after coronavirus because of other things like economic hardship, loss of jobs, um, uncertain housing, those sorts of things which play a, an important role in, in then the affordability of um, housing and, and where you live and the opportunities afforded to you in terms of your local, um, your local infrastructure and environment. We need to make that more equal and fair across Victoria. But I, I do think that we, we have an opportunity to, um, you know, Victorians are, um, are certainly wanting uh, to get out on their bikes. I think people are desperate to, to get back walking and running. And I think just the idea of going for a walk in the sun seems like such a luxury right now. And, 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 and I think there's an opportunity there for, for public health. In your pre-Vic Health career, you've had a particular focus on healthy eating. So I'm interested in your thoughts about the discussions that we've had about food over the last six months during COVID. Do you think is all that discussion about baking and spaghetti bolognese and COVID kilos, is that just a sort of momentary bit of amusement to help us get through what well, is a very stressful time? Do you think it is, or do you think it is actually setting us back in terms of helping people thinking about healthier food choices? Look, again, it's a mixed picture, but what concerns me is that it's a picture of divergence. It's a picture of those who had it tough before coronavirus have it even tougher now and are likely to face an even tougher battle uh, to access and afford good, healthy food after coronavirus. Uh, those who were doing well before coronavirus are probably doing possibly even better uh, now and, 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 and uh, who knows beyond coronavirus. 
Now, what, why is that? Well, because those with you know steady jobs, uh, steady income, um, safe housing, affordable housing, um, you know, a, a steady roof over their head, those sorts of things. In those in those individuals, we have seen uh, them cooking more. In fact, in most in most income groups, we've seen people cooking more at home. Um, we we have seen you know uh, Google searches for sourdough in the you know top ten Google searches worldwide back in the first lockdown. Pe people are cooking more. People are cooking more because they want to save money. They're cooking more because they have time. I think it's because most people are interested um, in 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 uh, getting back in the kitchen if they you know if they can afford the the hour or half an hour at the end of the day. Um, and I think you know most there's not a parent in victoria who doesn't want to put good food on the table for their kids having said that we have we are seeing some very concerning trends and we saw this in our latest uh coronavirus health and well-being survey run by vic health and this is front of mind for me at the moment uh, we saw one in one in four single parent households in the first lockdown not being able to afford to put food on the table because of economic pressures relating to coronavirus or exacerbated by coronavirus. We saw one in four Victorian households and families in total turning to or being, being, really being forced to turn to unhealthy foods or unhealthier foods uh, because they couldn't afford fresh uh, healthy ingredients like fruit and vegetables. In the first six months, in the first three months of this year, because of climate change-related droughts and, of course, the bushfires, we saw a, about a six percent jump in the price of fruit and vegetables. Now, six percent doesn't sound like a lot, but I can tell you, a family that's on a tight budget uh, will feel a very hard pinch when the fruit and veg bill goes up by six percent. Then we had panic buying, which saw a huge spike in the fresh, uh, fresh fruit and vegetable prices. And, and, and look, all of this combined, as well as the, the way that COVID has affected our food system from uh, imports to picking, to transport, to retail, um, or, or, you know, we are seeing a, a, some very concerning increases in food insecurity. One in seven Victorians are food insecure, even in a good year. But uh, I, I, we, we think and we worry that, uh, and we're seeing, we know from the numbers, uh, that, that the issue has got a lot worse, particularly for, fa for families and communities that were doing it really tough even before coronavirus hit. So that is a big focus for us. It will be a big focus of our coming large grant round. We have, um, we've given out some funding just recently to a few really innovative community organisations that are increasing access to affordable, fresh, healthy food for very marginalised uh, communities across Victoria and will continue those investments because this is a, a, a very um, concerning uh, picture for the health of Victorians. And particularly, you know, I, I worry about how these changes and how these economic pressures on, on financial pressures on so many families doing it tough will, will impact the health of diets, the health and diets of, of Victoria's young people, you know, young people who were already facing uh, earlier, earlier and higher levels of chronic diseases like diabetes uh, before coronavirus hit. And so again, that will be a big focus for us uh, over the coming years. The third area I thought we might just explore for a moment is mental health, because it's been a um, it's clearly been a very stressful time in Victoria over the last six months. 
there was a recent report from the uh, Victorian coroner showing that suicide rates had not actually increased in the last six months compared to previous years, but still a very, very clearly a very, very stressful time for many people and anyone involved in homeschooling, I think, will be yeah, feeling it very hard at the moment. Um, on the other hand, I suppose we are talking about mental health probably more than we've ever done before. And to some extent, at least, there is something of a common experience that we're going through. What's your sense of the positives and negatives of the discussion that we've had about mental health during the COVID crisis? Yeah, look, and I think it's, uh, again, it's probably different for different parts of Victoria. I'd say it's highly related to uh, your income and, and, and opportunities. Um, but, but also, I think it's quite different. It was quite different in the first lockdown to the second lockdown. Um, and but look, let me just be clear, both of these, every action that the Chief Health Officer has taken was, has been completely justified, completely justified, evidence-based. We're so lucky to have such strong, clear leadership uh, from uh, Brett and, and, and the team. Uh, but it has been tough. And, and he said that as well. He's acknowledged that it, ha it has taken and it will take a toll on the mental health of Victorians. Uh, what we are seeing is a, is a very big increase in one of the measures and precursors of mental health and wellbeing, which is uh, isolation, social isolation, or the, the reverse social connection. We've, we've, we've seen a dramatic increase, particularly in uh, young people uh, and also older people uh, with, you know, people who are probably um, not at school anymore. They might, they, it might be school-aged kids who suddenly are not in school, they're at home, they're not able to see their peers. Uh, people who are early in their career, maybe, uh, you know, not, not going to work, therefore we don't have those social interactions um, they may be living alone uh, or they may have lost their job uh, and with that lost uh, a number of those social networks. Um, people earlier in their life who are still trying to find maybe partners, you know, dating, those sorts of things have obviously become impossible um, and not able to see their, their parents or their, you know, ageing grandparents because of the risk of coronavirus and the restrictions. The, the effects of uh, social isolation, I think, we're seeing in the numbers uh, in, in the survey results that we've conducted and others around us, uh, it, it is having a big toll on Victorians. Um, it's a precursor for mental health and well-being. So, you know, there probably would be a delay between, um, you know, the, the peak of, of feeling socially isolated and then uh, other, other, other issues um, showing up. Uh, and, and so this is again where you know, we need to have this front of mind. We need to be just as we've been, um, you know, really steered by the evidence in the response to coronavirus, we need to be steered by the evidence in coronavirus recovery. And so, you know, for us at VicHealth, the mental health, particularly of young people uh, and particularly, um, you know, transition years uh, will be a big focus for us as we come out of coronavirus. And, thinking about, you know, how do we use uh, all of that latent but incredible capacity and capability that we have in the sports sector, in the arts sector, uh, in the education sector? How do we, how do we use uh, the, the thousands of young, incredible people uh, who have been stood down across uh, some of our big uh, um, phys physical activity uh, um, 
uh, organisations. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, YMCA, for example, you know, Carolyn and her team have had to stand down thousands of young people. But how, how do we use those as, as they have been thinking and they're already doing, using those young people to then support others uh, to, to deliver some of those programs? Because, you know, sport, arts, social, uh, uh, community programs, they're, they're not just about getting physically active. They're not just about, you know, delivering um, high quality arts to the community. It's about the connection that it creates. It's about getting people out of their homes. It's about the interaction that it brings. Uh, those things are so critical to the mental health of Victoria. And that's going to be a big focus for us because we know then that alongside us as Vic Health, you know, you have so many really brilliant organisations focused firmly on the mental health, uh, uh, early, in, you know, early uh, identification, uh, treatment, provision, uh, you know, provision sector. Um, and, and so all of those, all of that service sector has been strengthened. And I really welcome that action from the government taking very quickly, very early, they took action to strengthen a lot of the mental health services, uh, including family violence services, critically important. Um, and, and so we, we want to, we're going to make sure that there is a focus from government, but also from us on uh, the prevention and making sure that we're keeping people mentally well uh, you know, and 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 th one one key way of doing that is to uh, protect and promote social connection uh, as we rebuild. Um, so, you know, I think I think there have been definitely some some silver linings um, across across this period. People, you know, maybe finding the flexibility of working from home affords them less commute time, more time to you know to try new things or to engage in in things that they've wanted to um, try for, for a long time. But I think for a lot of people, um, you know, the challenges have well outweighed the, the benefits. And for those individuals, particularly young people, again, uh, people on lower incomes, um, you know, single parent households, people in regional Victoria uh, and in, in, in drought and, and bushfire affected regions of Victoria, uh, I think we're gonna have to really work um, very closely to support uh, them in 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 um, supporting their communities uh, as we recover. Uh, as you met, you talked about innovation there, and I guess Vic Health has had a very long and illustrious tradition of supporting innovation and people developing new approaches to health uh, improvement. Are there innovations that have struck you as particularly interesting in our response to COVID over the last six months? We've sort of seen that, I suppose, the spark of people thinking I could try something new here. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, that's, you know, one positive legacy for sure of, of, of the coronavirus period is, um, you know, Australians are incredibly resilient and innovative. And, you know, whether it's um, the fact that we've met, we, we, we managed to, um, you know, jump on Skype or catch up with friends through much more effectively through technology uh, I think we're realizing, you know, that we can we can get a group of colleagues together on Zoom. We don't have to all fly all around the country. Um, I think, you know, we we, um, we I think that there will be new ways of working, much more flexible ways of working that um, balance the really important face-to-face -face elements of an office with, you know, the 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 beneficial practicalities that come with you know, not having to get in the car and drive uh, to and from an office and, and uh, sit in peak hour traffic and, and, and use the time instead 
to spend with family and those sorts of things. Um, you know, I think we've seen innovation across the, again, the arts and sports sector, so much of it um, delivered on Zoom or on Skype or YouTube videos of, of um, you know, activities uh, that, that you would have had to have usually gone uh, out, out, of, out of your home into the city or, or indeed, you know, regional Victorians would, would maybe have never got access to. Um, you know, it's, it's, there, has been, there have been elements of democratisation uh, of, of, of uh, parts of our lives because of, of, um, of coronavirus. And, and, you know, and I think even, um, you know, e even in, in the, the health promotion sector, I think we've seen much, um, you know, this willingness to collaborate that, you know, that organisations that we're working maybe in, in a slightly siloed way alongside each other, you know, we, we've, we've seen this hugely over, you know, overwhelming response to, well, let's, let's all work together. How can, how can I piece, you know, how can I work in, in an integrated way with you and others to deliver um, even greater value? How can we sort of forget the turf, but, but really um, find, you know, common, common new ways of working. And I think in the food space, the, the example I gave before of, of, um, you know, really, really scaling some of the social enterprises in the food space to be able to, um, you know, set up sustainable long-term businesses that support local producers, um, local retailers, but ultimately get food in the hands of, of more Victorians at a lower price. And, and, and that sort of innovation is, is fantastic for the health of Victorians. In 12 months time in what's, well, hopefully a COVID-free world or at least a COVID-normal world. Do you think that the work of Vic Health, what it wants to do, how it works, will be back to what it was in 2020, in January 2020? Or do you think that some elements of Vic Health's work will have fundamentally shifted because of COVID-19? I think it'll be stronger. I think it'll. I think it'll be better and more effective. I think it's offered an opportunity to really be clear about you know where where do we where do we need to make impact and how do we make the most impact for Victorians? Um, how do we really prioritise the things that deliver the most value, the most health gains, and the biggest benefits for the public dollars that VicHealth spends to support Victorians? I I, I hope um, more widely though beyond VicHealth, I, I hope that actually Victoria and Australia that that we we use this as an important crossroads that we we actually decide you know what we're not we're not just going to snap back and go and go back to health you know business as usual and indeed health as usual but actually you know let let's let's work together let's let's actually put the things in place as a society so that every every individual regardless of and every child importantly in Victoria and across Australia, regardless of the income of the family they're born into or the postcode they find themselves living in, can access, you know, a good quality, fresh diet that's that's healthy and is going to allow them to achieve at school and excel in life. That they have access to, you know, high quality local parks and spaces to run and enjoy, and and stay physically active. Uh, that they have the same opportunities to achieve across life, but most importantly, 
that they are able to achieve and maintain good health. I think there's an opportunity to really aim for a, a more equitable, more sustainable and healthier Australia post-COVID than the one we had in 2019. And, and I hope that that's what we set ourselves as an ambition. That brings us to the end of this episode of Public Sector Perspectives. If you'd like to know more about the work of VicHealth, you can find links to their website and some of their most recent work in the show notes. Public Sector Perspectives is produced for IPA Victoria. I'm Nick Basto, and thanks for listening.